everybody. Uh, my name's Dan. It's good to see you all. It's great to uh, celebrate a brand new year. Um, welcome to 2024. It's great to see you guys. This past year, my kids, um, I want to I start this by sharing with you something like vulnerable for me. Is that okay? I had a moment this week that was like out of my depths. I'm really embarrassed by it, but I want to just like help you. I think it'll relate with maybe some of you. Um, <clears throat> last year, my kids started this new um, hobby. They started rock climbing. And there's a local gym here in Olathe that uh, allows, is really amazing. It's an incredible place. And for Christmas, Grandma and Grandpa got my kids their own rock climbing gear. And you know that week between you know, like Christmas and New Year's where there's just like nothing to do? Well, my kids were like, hey, Dad, take us rock climbing. And <clears throat> let me just be honest with you. It had been a while since I would like earnestly rock climbed. This was something I used to do in college. Like, it was so, so fun. But, like, that was like half of my life ago now. And, and, and so I was like, well, I'll take you guys. That's great. And so uh, we get our stuff together. We put, start packing up the, the, the car, and they're all geeked out. Like, my kids are all in elementary school. They're really pumped. And I, on a whim, I think, you know, I always want to be a good dad. So, like, good dad. What would a good dad do? You know, W-A-G-D-D. That's like the bracelet I have. What would a good dad do? And um, I, I was like, a, a good dad would climb. A good dad would climb. A good dad would go there, pay a little bit of money, get a harness, get some shoes, and, like, go show these little pipsqueaks what's up. And so I surprised them. I came down, and I was dressed in, like, my gym gear, and they were like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to climb with you. And they were all, like, pumped. It was the exact reaction I wanted. They were all, like, so excited because my kids are at this, like, really sweet, innocent age. And so we, we get to the climbing gym, and uh, they're all pumped. They'd been there earlier in the day. I'm coming with them. And honestly, I started second guessing at the moment that I walked into the doors. Because I walked in and I looked around and everything was very unfamiliar to me. I realized that like, I didn't know what to do, where to go, who to talk to. Um, I knew how to get up a wall. But like, I didn't know the process. And so I walked up to a desk and there was a very nice, this is gonna make me sound so old. It's a very nice young man behind the counter <laughs> who was using language that I did. He was using, it was English, but I didn't really understand the words he was saying sometimes. And like we had problems with the payment and I was just like, ah, gosh, I just, you know, I don't, ah, okay. And then he gave me like my gear and he asked me some technical questions I didn't know the answer to. And I was like, ah, I just wanna be with my kids. And um, I, I got everything, but as I was having this awkward moment at the front desk, I was looking around the gym, it was packed. It was absolutely packed with people who looked like they all walked out of the same sporting store together. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like I walked into the climbing gym and everyone looked like they had shopped in the same section of the same REI and I showed up in my gym gear from 2009. Super chuggy, my kids said. Like, Dad, this is... So I'm just like, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, self, I'm feeling out of my depths. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling like self, self... I'm feeling self-conscious. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm here for the kids. This will all be okay. I don't know. I'm looking around. I go, I don't know any of these people. I don't owe these people anything. Like, I'll be totally fine. Nobody knows me. And so uh, we walk to the place where my kids have commandeered a section of the wall. 
And they, they uh, pick a spot where there's very few people around. It was, it was perfect. And so we get there and, and um, I go, I get my harness on. This also makes me feel self-conscious because guys, I don't know the last time you've worn a harness, but it's not comfortable and flattering. <laughs> Just to call it what it is. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, oh, no one's, like, it's fine, no one's here. And, and all of a sudden I hear, hey, Dan. <laughs> and I turn around, it's my neighbor. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and he's there with his kid because, you know, there's nothing else to do. And so we're rock climbing with our kids who play on the same baseball team and we live by each other. And I was like, oh, awesome. And he looks at me, he looks at my clothes, he looks at my harness, he looks at me again. He goes, I'm like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I look at him, he's just wearing a chief's hoodie and he's not doing anything. I'm like, man, you're not a good dad. You're not climbing. Good dads climb. And so I'm, I'm getting past all of these obstacles. And I finally hook him to the wall. I had this moment. It was kind of this like special moment where I like touched the wall and like it all came back to me. All of my insecurities melted because I remembered how to do the thing. And my daughter, she looks at me, she goes, dad, race you to the top. And I was like, oh, it's on. Because this is like the easiest route that there is. I'm, I'm going. And so, and plus she's like this tall. So, <laughs> so we start going. And I'm looking over. She's doing really well. But I'm like, well, I'm good at this. I get all the way to the top. And out of the habit, I slap the top of the wall. I look over my shoulder and I go, repelling. And my daughter, who has caught up to me by this point, looks at me and goes, Dad, who are you talking to? And it... It occurred to me for the very first time in this moment that I was hooked into an auto belay system. Now, I knew that this was what happened. I just didn't consider how these things work. Every time I'd ever climbed in the past, there was someone, old school, like reliable way of getting up and down a wall, someone with a break and like belaying you and like they're trained for like 700. It's harder to become a belayer than it is a paramedic sometimes, you know what I mean? And so like I, I'm used to like the comfort of knowing that there's someone with me. And I look up at this thing, I go, right, the belay. And I'm no fool. I don't know where this thing came from. So I pull really hard on it. And the whole rope comes down. And um, I hold on to the top a little harder, like the, the, the little, it's like this small, some, some route setter punked me because there was like a pinky grab at the top. And the whole reason I was there and the whole reason I climbed up to the top was actually because my daughter wanted me to shoot some video of her rock climbing. Okay, this is 2024, we know that kids are self-obsessed with videos, blah, blah, blah. And I foolishly agreed. So my camera's in my pocket. My daughter's right next to me. I'm terrified of what's happening. And she goes, Dad, are you going to shoot the video of me repelling or not? And I was like, yeah, 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 hold on. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that I'm going to fall to the ground if I let go. I reach into my pocket. I pull out my camera, trying to act all cool in front of my daughter. And I shoot the video. I, I brought it for you. It's not a good video, but I just want you to feel this moment with you. It, it, let's, let's sh I'll show it to you. I'll walk you through it. This is um, my, my daughter having no problem at all getting down. This is, this is terrible angles because I literally, you guys, thought I was going to die. There's my other kids. They've got no problem with this. My daughter goes, are you coming? And I said, this one's not doing it. You sure? You can't hear her, but she goes, Dad, don't be a scaredy cat. 
And that's the moment that I stopped recording the video. Because I was like, oh, heck no. Oh, heck no. You are not going to trash talk me when I'm trying to do you a favor from up here. She's literally begging me, dad, let go and make me an orphan. <laughs> this is what I feel. This is what I feel. I'm, I'm trapped. I'm not trapped, but I'm like trapped up at the top. I, I'm, for whatever reason, I've done this a lot, but like I, I just froze. I froze at the top. I was feeling so... So confident for a second, and then I like in the midst of all this, I, I froze. And as I'm dangling above, hanging off for my dear life, one of the 15 year old desk workers comes by with two people who are checking out the gym. And he looks at them, he goes, Oh, by the I hear this. He goes, Oh, by the way, this is a great place to start rock climbing if you're a beginner. It's an auto belay system, so you know, nothing really to talk about here. Let's keep moving. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm trapped on the one auto belay that I'm convinced is not trustworthy. Wondering, do I need to pull out my phone again and call the front desk and ask him to send me a crane? <laughs> I, I realized in the moment, um, that's the end of my story, by the way. That, I'm not, not going to tell you if I get down or not. You can figure that out yourself. <laughs> also, I really like the fact that that leaves it as a cliffhanger. Huh? Huh? Yeah? Come on? No? Really? That's, no? Well, next time. I, I, I realized at that moment, I'm up there, I go... I never do this. I never think about this. But I, why didn't I take the orientation? That was the honest thought that I had. I go, dang it. I could ask somebody about this. Instead, here I am in a pickle, looking like a fool in front of my neighbor and my kids, terrified, heart, heart beating, hanging, hanging in the air, unsure what to do next. Now, here's why I tell you all of that story is because I actually think many of us have felt those moments before of insecurity and self-consciousness, of feeling like we're walking through something and we've started down a road and we've gotten to a place where all of a sudden we find ourselves hanging, not knowing what to do or how to be. And everyone else around us seems like they're using the systems of life perfectly and, 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 and people younger than us are getting up and down just fine. And then there's us and it's just like whatever, whatever it is about us, we haven't figured out how to trust the systems that are at work because we're so terrified that they'll let us down. It was really interesting for me because it was one of the first times in a long time that I felt out of place in a new community. And it was a good experience for me because I realized, especially at the beginning of a new year, there are so many people who take time out of their, their schedules at the, new, at the beginning of a new year to actually try a church, to try a faith community for the first time, maybe the first time in a long time. And walking through the doors, you, you might feel like, man, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is going to be acceptable. I don't know if like, they're going to have all these things for me, if I'm going to know how to engage with people, who I'm going to sit by, if I'm going to like the music, if I'm going to like the person on stage, if they're going to talk too long, if, they're not, you know, if I'm going to be helped, if I'm going to know Jesus better. Because I truly believe if you're here today, you want to know God. You want to know God better. And if you're here today, and this is like your story, is like you're, you're on edge a little bit today because you're feeling like maybe life has left you dangling and you need a little orientation of how God expects you to live. I, I want you to know you came on the perfect Sunday because we're starting a brand new series that is Jesus' orientation for what it's like to follow him. We're going to be taking the next couple of weeks to... Look at one of the most famous teachings in the entire Bible. And actually, I think one of the most famous teachings in history. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he it tells at the beginning of his whole ministry. It's the, one of the first teachings he ever gives. And it's to orient people how he expects them to live or, or what he's all about. And this is a sermon that is simple enough for all of us to understand 
In fact, I bet that you've quoted parts of this sermon already, even if you're not a church person. If you've ever heard the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, you learned this in kindergarten. That comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It's simple. It's easy for us to understand. But I also know that having tried to live out the Sermon on the Mount, it is the most challenging set of teachings that I've ever encountered in my entire life. Which is good news. Because if you're just starting the journey, this is going to be really easy to get. And if you're still walking on the journey, this is going to give you courage to keep taking the next step into the future with Jesus. I, I, um, I think in the purest form of the Sermon on the Mount, and all I want to do today is just give you an orientation to what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. In the Sermon on the Mount, we get a pure form of what Jesus believes, what he expects out of the character and the conduct of his followers. I think there's no better time in the culture that we live in than to, to look at this than, than today. Because there's a lot of ideas about how followers of Jesus should live in this world. You have ideas, I have ideas, we all have ideas. And I want to warn us all that anyone who has ever dared take the journey through the Sermon on the Mount has been met with an honest dose of humility and possibly self-awareness. But those who take this journey learn to trust God completely. And I think if you have a trust in God that, that you, you've, you've tested him and learned that he can be trusted, you can face anything that this world will throw at you. I was reminded of a quote by an old British theologian, a guy named G.K. Chesterton. He said that the, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it, is bound, it has been found difficult and therefore left untried. Say that again. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and therefore left untried. And part of the difficulty and the trial of this comes from Jesus' teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to set this up for us all so that we can see this. And my hope for you today is actually just to create an appetite for you to engage this set of teachings for the next couple of weeks. So that's, I just want to set it up. Matthew actually gives a lot for us to think about. And I think by the end of this, you're going to realize how absolutely relevant and for today this set of teachings is. Here's what Matthew says. It's found in Matthew. The whole sermon is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We are going to go through all of it. Uh, and, and I hope that's exciting for you. It's exciting for, for me. I think when we take large chunks of scripture, uh, it actually helps us get the whole context as opposed to just cherry picking a couple things because you can kind of make someone say anything you want them to say if you take anything out of context. And here's the context. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. You see why it's called Sermon on a Mount, right? Sermon on the Mount. This is a title that uh, we gave to this actually in the 400s A.D., uh, no one called this this in Jesus' day. This was just his sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount now. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. On its face, these two verses really are just very simple. But there's actually a tremendous amount going on here that I think we need to look at if we're going to understand and make progress and even understand how we should understand this message. The setup gives us two really big clues I want us to just think about today. The first clue about what is about to happen, what Jesus is about to teach us, it's it's the clue of movement, the movement. So, so in those two verses, there's up, there's down, there's in, and there's out. Jesus went up the mountain. He sat down. 
His disciples came and leaned into him. And then literally in the Greek, he opened his mouth and spoke out. That might seem like really small, trite, kind of like I'm making a big deal about nothing. But, but this whole entire, if you've ever read the, the Sermon on the Mount, I've ever talk, talked about it, one of the reasons it's so hard to understand is because of all of the themes of reversals, up and down, in and out. The whole thing is flipped on its head. And we got to see that this is happening from the very beginning. That Jesus is actually going to try and invert and reverse the world that we know it as. Um, Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, which, which we'll talk about next week, but literally means like the people in this life who have it the best are those who are the poor in spirit. And that is kind of an upside down, inside out type of thing for us. Or, or um, blessed are you when people persecute you. I, we'll get to that too, but like no thanks. Right? I mean, love your enemies is not the motto of American politics. At all. So much of what Jesus says is paradox. It's, it's confusing. It's different than the world that we live in. It's different, actually, against everything we've ever been taught. It's up, it's down, it's down, and it's up. And Jesus teaches us how to live in the upward, the downward, the inward, and the outward directions of our life. This is an all-of-life type of teaching that will affect every one of our relationships. A relationship with ourself is described as both being downward and inward. A relationship with God is being described both as upward and outward. And these will become clear as we go through the sermon. But here's what I want to say about all this. The fact that Jesus actually teaches us how to follow him, the fact that Jesus actually took time to sit down and teach his disciples is good news for all of us because it means that people like me who just tend to go hook into the climbing wall and then go to the top, we actually get a chance to hear how the world works. We get a chance to understand how it's been put together, how we can best enjoy, how we should see ourselves in the midst of life. We get to be oriented by Jesus to what his way of life is like and how to enjoy life for all that he offers. The other clue that is found in this introduction by Matthew that helps us understand what's about to follow is this. I want to put it back up on the screen. Why we call it the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is because Jesus went up the mountainside. He sat down. His disciples came to him. He began to teach them. But why did he do that? Well, because Jesus saw the crowds. The crowds. This happened very early in Jesus' life. The crowds were coming out to see him to, because he had started teaching and started healing in a way that hadn't, people hadn't heard the, the word of God taught or seen Miracles like this happen in a very long time. Jesus would go from town to town, Matthew tells us in chapter 4. He'd go to town from town, he'd teach in the synagogue, and then he would heal. And then all sorts of people from all around would come to him and say, hey, I've got this condition, I've got this thing, I can't, and, and, and Jesus would heal them. Um, if you're into marketing today, you would say that Jesus' net promoter score was off the charts. He had word-of-mouth advertising that was working because his product was disrupting an entire category. He was a new thing in an old place with old problems making a real difference. And that's the recipe that you chase in business, right? You're trying to disrupt the marketplace. And Jesus had, had disrupted the healthcare industry. He literally was just like, hey, healed. And people were healed. And when you have a great thing. People spread it. They talk about it. And this is exactly what was happening. The, the verse right before this verse in Matthew chapter 20, 
uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 25. Literally, the, the verse right, right above it. it says, large crowds, and then look at this, from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, they followed him. And this is a huge clue for us to understand who were the people that were coming to follow Jesus, to listen to him. I might have just read this whole list and you are just like, yeah, we get it, large crowds. I don't even know where they're from. Because honestly, as Westerners, we don't care about geography that's not, you know, local. But if I were to tell you, this is kind of what it's like for us here. If I were to tell you that um, a new coach had come to town and people from Lawrence and Manhattan and Wichita flocked to come see this new coach, you would know a lot about what I was talking about, wouldn't you? You would understand immediately that I was talking about KU and K-State and Wichita State. Does anybody know anything about them? <laughs> you would know that we're talking about sports. You know that, I, I don't know, I'm into college basketball these days, but you could be wondering if I was talking about football. A lot of you would be like, well, he, he didn't say Mizzou. Why, why didn't he say Columbia? You'd have questions because you know something about those cities, those regions, what they represent, what they're all about, what the center of gravity is in those places. You even have some assumptions about the ways of life of the people that are represented. You can tell me all day long the A or B between Lawrence, Kansas, and Manhattan, Kansas. You can tell me a lot about the type of life that you think are espoused and the values and everything between those two cities, can't you? You know what's funny? So could Matthew's readers. Matthew's readers knew a lot about the Decapolis and Galilee and Jerusalem and Judea and the people from the region across the Jordan. I think this is the most substantial piece of information that we get to understand what the Sermon on the Mount is actually all about. And if you don't know this, you can read the Sermon on the Mount, call it nice, and move on with your life. But if you know a little bit about the history of these places, the Sermon on the Mount will pop off the page. You will go, oh my goodness, this is written for today. And you'll actually freak out and have an existential crisis. And that's my goal. <laughs> my goal is for us to change because we've encountered Jesus' teachings. So he, let me, let, can I share with you just what these regions represent? This is the remainder of my time here. I want to share with you what these regions represent. Um, Jesus saw the crowd. And he saw who was in the crowd. The act of teaching requires that you know something about your audience. And Jesus is the greatest teacher who knew everything about his audience. And let me share with you a little bit about his audience. Um, the, the, uh, the historian Josephus is actually the one who sheds light on this. He lived in, in the, the first century. And he talks about the four sects, S-E-C-T-S, of the, the regions that Matthew has noted here. The most popular groups of people that came from these regions were called the Pharisees, the Pharisees. I want to just talk to you about four groups of people. The first is the Pharisees, the Pharisees. You've probably heard about the Pharisees if you're a Jesus person at all. Jesus um, argues with the Pharisees a lot. These were a bit of a grassroots roots type of people. They were a populist movement based on the idea that God's kingdom would come to earth when everyone kept the law of God perfectly. 
They were very pious. Actually, all four of these groups of people that I'm going to talk about took God's word seriously and did something to align their lives with the teachings that they had received out of God's word. They were sincerely devoted to following God. But I think you're going to see that their devotion led them and their understandings led them into four different ways of following God, four different visions for society. The Pharisees' vision was that everyone would go back This is a phrase that my um, grandfather, he was a pastor theologian, and he gave these four categories uh, words to help us understand. That they would go back to the ways things used to be. That if everyone kept the oral traditions of the law, everyone practiced the traditions of their forefathers, then there would be peace on earth. Then there was this concept of the kingdom of God. Then it would show up and, and all would be right in the world. They were to go back to the old ways that are spoken of by God, the prophets. They were, let me say it this way. They wanted to make their country great again through the public honor of God. And a lot of the stuff that Jesus is going to say here in the Sermon on the Mount is going to be directly towards the Pharisees. If they're a populist movement, the second group of people is completely the opposite of them. They're called the Sadducees. The, The Pharisees and the Sadducees are like oil and water. The Sadducees were not a populist movement. They were an elitist movement. They were some very wealthy, erudite people, oftentimes leaders in the community because of their influence and their status. Because of their status, they were very cozy with Rome. Uh, they, they, they had this ability to navigate the political system because of their, their um, social uh, currency. Uh, they were leaders in the temple, we think. There's not a lot written about the Sadducees, uh, except in the Bible, it tells us that they were a little bit of more uh, what we would call the liberal elite. And what I mean by that and why we, why we say that is because they believed the Bible literally. They were actually like literalists, but they didn't believe all of the Bible. So they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in spirits. They didn't believe in the concept of resurrection, that like this was a popular thing before Jesus even rose from the dead. In this time, they, they said there was a day when all will rise. It's called the resurrection. When Jesus talks to Martha at Lazarus' tomb, he, she says, I believe in the day of the resurrection. Jesus hasn't resurrected yet. Lazarus hasn't resurrected yet. She just, this is the concept in the, in the water. The Sadducees did not believe in this. And this is because they had taken the laws of God and they had looked at their natural world and what science had shown them and what they had learned as, you know, sophisticated people. And they tried to harmonize them and said, well, this is, this is an impossibility. And so with our rationalism and our, our more erudite minds and our, our learnings, we can really actually say that, that following God should be more like this. The Sadducees, if you were going to give them a phrase, they were, they're progressives. They were, you go forward. Let, let's modernize our religion. Let's modernize our engagement with the world. Can't we be a little bit Rome, a little bit Judaism? Can't we all get along? Can't we just figure this out? Because you guys, don't, you're not so, 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 so old school that you even believe that stuff anyway, right? I mean, come on, get with the times. This was the Sadducees. Um, third group. And God, how are we doing? You guys staying with me? I know I'm throwing like some words at you that are crazy. Pharisees. Sadducees. Third group in the crowd, Josephus tells us about these guys. These were the ones who likely came from across the Jordan. The the Sadducees would have likely come from Jerusalem, having been the the center of of power and and the the temple influence would have probably brought them from there. And from across the Jordan were this group of people called the Essenes, the Essenes. I feel like this is a really deep history lesson that could make your eyes gloss over. So can you just say Essenes with me? I just need to get you involved a little bit. Essenes, all right, thank you. The Essenes, um, 
I'll give you a modern day equivalent for them later, but they were separatists. They were pacifists. They were people who looked at the law of God and, and they saw where God said, be distinct from everybody else. And so they took it literally. They said, we ought to keep ourselves unstained from the world. And so we're going to set up alternative communities. We're going to actually leave our society. We're going to go out into the desert and we're going to set up this world. And, and if, we can, if we can actually practice purity, then we'll have peace on earth. They said we should go out. That the world and faith are like oil and water and do not mix. So the Essenes separated themselves. You know, because of the Essenes, uh, we actually have the most concrete evidence that the Bible has been transmitted throughout thousands of years accurately because they recorded uh, the, the scrolls and they kept them and they were buried in a place where the climate conditions were so perfect in the 1940s. Someone threw a rock, found a scroll, and then we discovered this incredible trove of, of perfectly preserved uh, ancient manuscripts that make up our Bible. It's part of why I have faith and confidence in this book is because of the Essenes. They left, they went into the desert to form their alternative community. And finally, the fourth group. These are the fun guys. You, you know something's going to happen when one of these people shows up. They're called the Zealots. And even Jesus, one of Jesus' own disciples was... A zealot. The zealots were, were a revolutionary um, political association more than they were a religious group. But they were a political association that had deep religious convictions. They were brawlers. They were fighters. They, they looked at the current culture of the day and they looked around and they saw something evil was happening in the leadership ranks of the country. Foreigners were over God's people in Israel and that should not be. They were enemies with Rome. They believed, and this is, I mean, a little bit of me making this into today's language, but they believed that if they didn't take Jerusalem back for God, then God would actually punish the whole nation. They believed it was up to them to act, and if they didn't act, everyone was going down. And so um, their word might be go against Go against, like, let's take up arms. Like, like we, this should not be, like, we ought to fight against this. This is, this is really severe. And so they would actually murder and destroy in the name of Jewish patriotism. In fact, there's a really good reason to believe that Barabbas, there's a guy at Easter that we talk about on Good Friday, the, the criminal who Pilate goes and drags out of the dungeon and, and puts before the people and says, hey, do you, do you want this guy, this zealot Barabbas who tried to lead an insurrection against Rome and failed, and that's why he was in prison? Or do you want this rabbi who teaches strange things? We, we see zealots had a really deep influence in this time. And these are the four categories of people who are coming to Jesus. People who think God wants violence. Others who think that God wants pacifism. People who think that God wants strict morality. Others who think that God wants rationalism. And here's what gets me about all this. I don't know if it gets you too. All of these people were sincere, authentic, passionate, devoted to God, and yet they have vastly different conclusions about how to live in this world. These are the four groups of people that Jesus, they're coming to Jesus, and they're kind of coming, I imagine, with, um, with, with, with magnifying glass to like examine Jesus. What are you all about? Are you like us? If you're like us, if you think like us, then we'll champion you all the way to the top. 
They're there to criticize him. They're there to challenge him. They're there to explore, not because they want to bend their lives to him, but because they want to see if they can take this guy and, and glam onto him. I think it's wild that we have these same spirit of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots today. I mean, they all go by different names. But isn't it crazy that as I'm talking about this, you're thinking about different types of people that maybe you know, maybe people in your own family, maybe people that you work with, people that are maybe here in the room that you're like, oh my goodness, that's that person. Of course, obviously, that's that person. It's not me, that's that person. And I want you to know, Jesus doesn't shame any of these people. He actually uplifts every single one of their positive virtues. To the Essenes, he, he, he says, yes, your purity is so beautiful. Your heart for God is so admirable. To the zealots, he says, I love that you're passionate and willing to fight for something. To the Sadducees, he says, I love that you have a heart for the poor and for the world, even though you yourself are kind of recluse and up in your ivory towers. And to, the, to the Pharisees, he says, you love so much the, the, the instructions that God has given he, he uplifts every single one of these groups in his sermon. But at the same time, he says to every single one of them, he goes, none of you understand anything about God. <laughs> he says, for all that you have that is right, you're missing it all completely. And this is really interesting for me. Because I think today we've got a lot of different groups of people who are trying to claim a vision for our society, a vision for the church. A vision. We make moral judgments out of what Jesus wants for us. We even cherry pick verses out of the Sermon on the Mount. And then we try and claim it for our, our side. And Jesus is looking at everybody and he says, yeah, 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 none of you, none of you are really getting it. None of you. None of you. I, I, um, I want to show you how, how this is alive today. And I think this is going to show you that this is a really timely moment for us to look at what does Jesus have to say for the vision of the kingdom that he's bringing. I was scrolling social media this week. I don't normally do this, but I wanted to make a point. Because I've often thought that like Twitter was like the worst place in the world. Like literally, I think it's like the sixth level of hell. And um, I was scrolling Twitter and I found these groups on Twitter. And I want to just show you Here's what's out there. That is the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots of today. Here's uh, one. Uh, I just saw this. It was two days ago. This is someone that goes, if you take them, and I blocked out their names, not because I don't want to quote them, but because I just don't want to trash these people because I think their hearts are really, really in the right place. I just want to show you this is the spirit of something else. If you take the Bible extremely literally about human sexuality, but not about feeding the hungry, bringing good news to the poor, liberating the oppressed, forgiving debts, bringing health to the sick, or loving your neighbors, please don't act like you take the Bible seriously. Mic drop, right? I mean, it's like that, that moment. This is a very, honestly, a very common technique that we see on social media almost always. You just take your, if you take the Bible extremely literally about, and then fill in the blank, just, just whatever your thing is that you're angry about that day or confused about or see differently than somebody else. You can just take this formula. If you want to win an argument on social media, here's all you do. Hey, you say to take the Bible seriously about X issue, but you don't do Y issue, then you don't take the Bible seriously. Um, it's a terrible form of argumentation, first of all, but this is the spirit of the Sadducees. This is what the Sadducees were all about. They're like, well, well, you haven't gone far enough. You haven't done enough. You haven't, you got to do it com completely, perfectly, all of it. And, and you don't care about all of the issues or all the people or all the things. And it's exhausting to talk to this type of person because there's always a what about, isn't there? And you can go, oh, okay, yeah, I guess I missed that one. Gosh. 
As a pastor, can I just confess to you, like, this haunts me. Because it's a, you know, we could have raised money for a million organizations in Kansas City. We chose Mission Adelante, but like, what about? And does Jesus expect us to do everything? Or is it okay for us just to focus on one thing? Or? These are the questions that I bring to the Sermon on the Mount. I go, what, God, what, what do I, how do I live in the community? How do I bring, how do I, how do I do what you want me to do? Okay, so that's the Sadducees. Uh, you've seen this before. Okay, here, let's go to the next one. Uh, here's some, someone else said this uh, two weeks ago. Or, uh, I'm sorry, two days ago. If the USA is no longer a Christian country, it's because we've squandered it all away in the past 50 years. But that also means that it can be restored. The system built by Christians is still in place. This was actually a pastor who said this um, on, on, uh, on, on X. And this is the spirit, maybe you can see it, of a Pharisee. This is someone who's saying, hey, can we go back? Can we return to the glory years of what used to be? The implication of this is that 51 years ago, we were all perfect. It was all great. It was all wonderful. And there, you, we can be honest, there are groups of people living in America 51 years ago who would raise their hand and be like, oh, but not really. Right? And so the, the Pharisees are always trying to get us all to like go back and go do the thing that we all used to do because that was the glory days and God inhabited the glory days. And so part of their concern is, you know, being a Christian country. Jesus is going to mess up that idea. If, if you're really convinced that we're supposed to have a Christian country, I want you to bring that question with you in your heart over the next couple of weeks as we look at what Jesus says. And I think it might be a moment of humility and challenge for us that's going to lead us into not less love for our country, not more love for our country, but an appropriate love for our country. That's the preview of stuff to come. Okay, that's the Pharisees. Last one. Uh, maybe not last one. Here's this one. This was said yesterday. I fell out of my chair when I read it. Um, Jesus told us to love our neighbors, protecting them with force if necessary. <clears throat> 36,000 people saw that. I guess this was posted a week ago. Uh, 36,000 people saw this. Uh, Jesus told us to love our neighbors, protect them with force if necessary. And this is the heart of a, of a zealot, of a zealot. Yeah. There's a war out there. We've got to fight it. We've got to be strong. Jesus is going to say some stuff about this, you guys. He's going he's gonna to address this, and it's going to be uncomfortable if that's what we believe about his, that vision for life. Okay, and then here's what um, I looked up, the, the view, the, the tweet from the Essenes. And there are none. <laughs> I literally, I'm on, the, I'm on my, my phone for like an hour and a half last night, and Kristen's looking at me. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm trying to find a pacifist on Twitter. I'm trying to find a separatist on Twitter. I can't find any of them. It's like they're not even here. And she goes, you moron, they're not there. <laughs> and this is kind of the thing. It's just like there are people who have abdicated any influence in the world. And their silence might be appropriate for them, but, but, but the whole world misses out on their viewpoint. And we um, want to know, I think, as we navigate all these different places, uh, we want to know, God, which of these is right? All of these people have gotten these views because of your word. How do I live in a way in which I understand how you want me to live and not just what they say? This is the, the, the voice of the crowd. The voice of the mob is often really, really, really loud in our life, isn't it? 
And we could be confused and it can cause wars. And, and all four of these groups, except for the Essenes who, who opted out, the, the other three, you could look at some situations where there's actually fighting that happens between them, almost like a civil war of sorts. And Jesus comes and he welcomes every single one of these groups to him. And he says, hey, can I teach you about what the kingdom of God is like? You know what your own kingdoms are like. But can I teach you a better way? Can I, can I help you with a better way? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to summit this sermon together. And while maybe some of us map perfectly onto one of these four camps, you know, I, I said the thing, and you're like, yes, finally you said my thing. And now I'm like, yeah, but that's not the right thing. And you're like, why isn't that the right thing? Um, uh, by the way, I myself map close to these, right? Like, I've, I've got my own things. I want to be very clear to, like, not br Brad as he teaches. We want to be very clear that we're not prejudicing or just using our own. We want to look at the words of Jesus because here's what, we, here's what we know. All of us have a heart that wants to know the right thing from God. And Jesus has a heart to be clear for us. And I don't think you can understand the Sermon on the Mount without understanding the backdrop of who Jesus was talking to. And I love that Jesus talked to these groups. I love that Jesus welcomed everybody in and said, hey, hey, I know there's a lot of confusion out there. Can, can we all sit down? Come here, let's have a chat. Let's talk. Let's spend some time together. Let me help you see what this is like. And I, I know that there's some of us that map onto these perspectives, but I also know this, having lived in Johnson County now for two and a half years, that a lot of us don't feel like we map onto any of those categories at all. A lot of us are living our lives trying to be faithful to Jesus. A lot of us are looking at how the public discourse is going and going, well, that, that's not exactly it. Well, that's not exactly it. Well, that's, that, I can't just pull my family out of society. Like, I can't grow my own food and kill my own chickens. And Some of you are trying to, and that's fine, but um, you can't do it perfectly, right? Because you have to go full bore Amish. And last I checked, there were no Amish people at Heartland. You're welcome if, you're, if you are. So we all live in this world. We're all contacting this world. And Jesus is going to teach us how do we contact the world. And actually, if, if you feel like none of these really apply to you, that you're somewhere in the messy middle of it all, I want to give you good news. Because there's actually five categories of people, not four. The fifth category is what Matthew calls the crowd. The crowd. Anytime in Matthew's gospel, Jesus looks at the crowd, he sees humanity in its most basic form. He sees us together. He doesn't see the political spectrums or, or all the, he looks through it all. And what Jesus says when he sees the crowds is he sees the hearts of people. And what that means for all of us who maybe feel politically homeless or feel like the world is kind of operating in all of these extremes is that there's good news. Jesus can cut through all of that and speak directly to our hearts and speak directly to our situation here to help us know how do we live faithfully in this world today. And the word for the crowd is simply this, go to Jesus. So here's why I took, you know, all that time just to set up a message without even saying a word of the Sermon on the Mount. It's because here's the posture with which I think we need to take this journey is simply to, to, to take this time, this week maybe, to check our hearts and to say, Jesus, I do feel lost in this world sometimes. I feel like either my side's losing or my side's not winning or my side's not being heard or my side's being persecuted. Or, but maybe there's something more going on inside of me that you want to deal with. 
And as we as a church come to this sermon together, this most famous teaching ever, our hope as a, as a pastoral team, our hope as leaders in this church is that God would knit us together into a community, not just a, a, a Sunday experience that you can come to and feel safe and maybe all of those feelings of joining a, a rock climbing gym and not knowing it. Like all, we're glad that you feel comfortable here, but like there's more. We wanna be a church where people can scale the face of God in their lives and be up and down the, the wall, up and down the mountain, actually live the successful life that flourishes. That is what Jesus promises because he says you're blessed to receive the rewards of the kingdom together. We, wanna, we want this to be a unifying series as we look at the teachings of Jesus. But I don't think we're gonna actually understand it unless we see the perspectives that Jesus was teaching against. So now that I've kind of just shared with you the backdrop, here's the very simple question. Are you willing to come to Jesus and honestly listen to him? And that's the question I want to leave with you today. Are, are, you, are you really sincerely willing to listen to Jesus or are you swimming in a world where the loudest voices are a part of your tribe and they might not be Jesus' voice? I have no idea what those voices are. I know what people try and say what those voices are, but I have no idea what those voices are. Whether it's podcast hosts or media outlets or people in the cube next to yours. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's your running club. I don't know if, if it, what it is. But there are so many voices out there. And, and the question for us is just simply, will we give Jesus the loudest? Will we let Jesus lead the conversation? Or are we going to default back to our own perspectives from our own tribe? Are we the type of people who want to make, follow Jesus if it's convenient for our, our thing? Or are we willing to actually say the king has the authority to lead me? Every other system in this world is going to leave you hanging. Jesus will carry you forward. And so this week, as you think about that, I hope that there's that optimism and the hope and an expectation of what he will say to us. I want to have you stand. Thanks for your patience today. Thanks for letting me get through a little bit of background work. I want us to just consider all of this as we reflect in a song. I've asked the band to lead us in um, a bit of a response here, and I'll close this in just a second. But I would love for you to maybe, as, as the band leads, just close your eyes if, if there's a, an opportunity for you, and just ask God, would you search my heart? Help me, help me see this week ways in which maybe I'm coming to you with my own agenda. You see me in the crowd, and so you've invited me to come with you up the mountain. And I want to be one of the disciples that follows you, and I want to hear you speak. That could be the prayer that you pray right here, right now.